It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 In. 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 Hello everyone, welcome to the Criterion Project where we talk about the movies in the Criterion channel and or collection. I am Conrado and I am here as always with the great Rachel Wagner. Hi everyone! Hey Rachel. Today we are talking about the very first feature film by comedy legend Elaine May, A New Leave. And in order to do so, we have a very special guest from the delightful Lasagna Time podcast. It's film critic Kyle Turner. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Thank you for being for coming. here on the podcast. Yes, um, this is your first time on. So why don't you tell the listeners about you and, and your work? Um, oh, gosh, that is a, that's a... Um... What, what to say about, about me? I, I generally don't think uh, about myself unless I'm trying to get someone's attention or <laughs> um, free food. But uh, I started writing um, professional in, in a somewhat professional capacity when I was in college, and I've been freelancing for five or six years at this point. Um, don't do the math as far as how old I am. Um, but I primarily focus on... Um, LGBTQ cinema or queer readings of film. Um, and my work has been published in Slate, Esquire, GQ, and the mm. New York Times. Fantastic. T also, tell us about Lasagna Time, your new podcast, which I enjoy oh, so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Lasagna Time was <laughs> birthed of, from a very silly little um, mind, uh, silly little thought uh experiment in that like I having been in lockdown for so long the thing that I missed most was sort of the comfort of being able to hang out with someone just talk to them um and then that kind of grew and I uh, with my collaborator and uh, friend and co-host Billy McEntee um into being a podcast about the role that food plays in pop culture so movies tv theater etc so we're really um, bringing on incredible guests to talk about their favorite food moments in film and TV and pop culture and whatnot. And we've uh, spoken to some really wonderful people like Sarai Nadia McDonald, who was uh, nominated for the Pulitzer. We talked to her about um, the lack of food in Kajillionaire, the film by Miranda July. Um, we also have talked to the creative team behind the live theatrical production Circle Jerk. We talked to them about the role that food plays in The Real Housewives um, TV series, wow. so it's it's really fun. It's been a it's been a nice thing to add structure to my life to my life. That's basically. great. After laying supine watching reality TV for <laughs> the last year, yeah, I can't wait for a, a massive dissection of all the salads eaten in Sex and the City someday. <laughs> yes, that actually that did that briefly came up. That did briefly come up in an episode. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, this sounds really fun. I love it. Yeah, very creative. So before we get into the movie proper, we like to go around and recommend or talk about something that we've been watching on the Criterion channel lately. So, Rachel, have you been watching anything lately? I didn't watch anything else on the Criterion this since we last spoke, but I finished covering the New York International Children's Film Festival last week. 
and uh, there was some good stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed a film called The Bears Invasion, uh, which is an animated film. Animation, as everybody knows, is my my first love. And this is a film by director Lorenzo Matteotti, I think. Anyway, and it's a series of short stories about his bears and their adventures and and there's sort of a fantasy element in their uh their tribe and um there there's even ones that that involve sort of warfare and tribal tribal warfare and it was really charming and really well done and i very much enjoyed it uh the animation is beautiful definitely worth a watch they also had calamity which is by remy shay who I uh, I got to interview after he did his first film and he has just beautiful animation where he doesn't have any lines in his animation and so it's all uh, it's all kind of uh, it has a really beautiful smooth aesthetic and it's all about oh. this one's all about Calamity Jane as a child it's it's cute it's not I don't like it quite as much as his last one but it's it's worth watching and then I also saw Nahuel now or now well and the magic book and this is out of chile uh, director german akuna and this is uh, a long a boy he finds a book that uh has a magical book that has powers and he ends up in sort of the world of the ocean and it was it was really creative and i enjoyed it uh, so hmm. it was fun to get to watch some international animation this last that weekend. sounds fun do you know if any of these movies are going to be coming out soon or available to watch um i'm not sure what the plan is but uh i will keep you all posted when i hear more um currently they're not on any calendars yet but i would mm -hmm. guess by the end of the year we will probably see it from my guess is from g kids is that they'll probably unless they get purchased by by amazon or um they probably have to get a dub first mm -hmm. and then would then get the uh release but both of these <clears throat> uh well all three of them played annecy which is the big animation film festival last year mm. and uh, so yeah so it sounds like they should be available at some point mm -hmm. not too long yeah in the future so that was a lot of fun and I uh, appreciated getting and they also had a screening of Raya and the Last Dragon with the whole team creative team uh big panel which was fun to to participate in as well so I really enjoyed Great. that so yeah that's what I've been watching how about you Kyle do you have something to recommend yeah I just did a double feature one of the films I'm not going to recommend because it was bad but I th thought they were related um, in some capacity. Unfortunately, they were not on Criterion Channel. But um, I watched the women remake um, directed by Diane English from 2008 because I celebrated um, International the Women's Day by just watching all the different versions of the women, um, which was originally a play by Claire Booth that was produced in 1936. And then it was adapted by George Cukor, um in 1938, I believe. And then there's a Reiner Reiner Fassbinder version that was produced in the mid-70s. And then the Diane English one um, came out in 2008 with Annette Bening, Deborah Messing, Meg Ryan, etc. Um, not good. Not very good. It's it's <laughs> quite just... It's very disappointing because I think The Women is a, 
a really fascinating problematic text problematic in the in the sense that there are a lot of um there are a lot of issues within it as far as the way it sort of envisions um envisions kind of this internalized misogyny that is never sort of acknowledged as being systematic in any particular way Mm. um and so it's sort of that is kind of zeroed in as this very um compartmentalized thing and very insular thing um that seems to be not entirely related to any sort of not to be corny but forces um outside of their circle right and so the update of it sort of disposes of a lot of the uh, 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 several of the original characters um it tries to like m- make m- its lead characters girl bosses in a way that's in a, in a manner that seems kind of disingenuous because one of the appeals of that of that text is all of having this kind of ambivalence towards whether you want to see these women fight and so if fall into these misogynistic stereotypes, but also sort of contemplating their own role in that kind of perpetuated misogyny. Mm-hmm. And the Diane English tries to neutralize it in a way that doesn't quite make sense. Um, and ends up kind of flattening the characters in a, a very sentimental fashion without actually having them confront like the, the, the actual barriers that exist with the exception of the Annette Benning character, where I think that is more hinted out at more hinted at as far as like the external things that are kind of reinforcing or shaping her approach to her relationships with her friend, with her female friends and whatnot. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it's disappointing because I, I think that like the text does um, lend itself to being reinvented and reinterpreted. And I think that like, if you just did a, a, a much more straightforward adaptation or a much, uh, a much more straight up ad, a much straightforward, my apologies, a much straightforward adaptation of the text and simply sort of um, recontextualize the aesthetic as opposed to the words themselves, I think you come out with a much stronger critique of both um whatever the women fails to do but also of the way in which the certain aspects of its politics are still relevant um like if you just did it basically real housewives style i've had real housewives on the brain for like the last year so it's now like my primary reference point um but um and then the other film that i watched was soap dish uh directed by michael hoffman and it's about the the bizarre kind of stranger than fiction uh behind the scenes relationships of a very popular daytime soap opera um and it reminded me a lot of postcards from the edge actually because it is fundamentally about a bunch of people who really don't know how to connect with one another or be vulnerable with one another um Mm. without some layer of artifice affecting their relationship they always have to be on it stars sally field kevin klein with b goldberg kathy moriarty elizabeth shue robert downey jr and it's it has a sort of almodovarian farcical um vibe which i really enjoyed it's kind of undermined by uh like a last minute twist which is fairly transphobic Mm. but um i think 
it does sort of offer a kind of prescient look at the ways in which the things that are happening behind the scenes of movies and television shows are as much a spectacle that audiences are attracted to as the like entertainment that's being produced itself so i do recommend soap dish with the asterisk that it is very much of its time um but Mm -hmm. i do not recommend the women unfortunately they both sound like movies that would be very interesting to someone who is really into real housewives right now you know and the whole (laughs) meta textual element of real life and and fiction and whatnot oh absolutely i i think being able to discern, especially Soap Dish, I th- uh, being able to discern which parts are performance um, and which parts are sort of the private um, or illusions of authenticity is really mm-hmm. fun to dissect. And um, being able to, I-, I think it is sort of prophetic in the way that in which we engage with reality TV shows like Real Housewives, mm-hmm. trying to discern to what degree they are playing up their their anger or fury or melodrama or if this is actually fundamentally part of the way that they live and see their lives and kind of see the world around them yeah it's been a while since i saw soap dish but i remember thinking that it was really funny that uh, it has a great cast and very silly but enjoyable oh i've never seen it so i'm curious yeah well, thank um, you for the recommendation or or lack of recommendations for the insight <laughs> on those. So I've been watching a lot of movies lately, but a lot of them are Criterion titles. Just I, they're not in the channel right now. But I will say that of the movies that I've watched, the one that I'm most excited about is uh, Female Trouble, directed by John Waters. So I had never seen... John Waters like early stuff I had seen Hairspray and Crybaby and I had heard of course that his early stuff was much more shocking and kind of filthy so I just didn't expect it to, to I didn't expect to love it as much as I did to be honest I really loved Female Trouble. He's the Trouble. of trash. Yeah. He's yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I loved it not in a like so bad it's good kind of way because I really don't like that sort of thing I just actually really loved it and you know uh, this is the movie, is the story of Dawn Davenport, who is a woman who, as a teenager, does not get the cha-cha heels that she wants for Christmas, and then she kind of grows up to become a mass murderer and has a lot of weird, kinky adventures along the way. Um, I feel like it's a movie that is completely on its own wavelength, where you can tell that, you know, despite the budget limitations, everything is kind of of a piece and the vision of the world that John Waters has, where everything that's supposed to be beautiful is ugly and everything that is supposed to be ugly is beautiful. I don't know. I, I found it to be truly subversive filmmaking and I kind of loved it. It's it's kind of hard, um, or I guess it's easy to forget now that John Waters is such a beloved figure and, you know, he hosts award shows and whatnot that once upon a time he was such a transgressive director so i expect rachel that you this wouldn't be a movie for you it doesn't seem like your kind of thing but <laughs> i haven't uh, i haven't seen it. i've heard of it because of the christmas element uh oh right of course i want those cha-cha heels yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because i you know obviously i cover christmas movies so i've heard about it i have not seen it i must admit yeah I-, I don't think it's up <laughs> your alley but kyle you strike me as a kind of person who would like a john waters so have you seen female trouble oh yeah i'm i'm a huge john waters fan um my f- my favorites 
or like I I really appreciate appreciate the whimsy of pink flamingos, um, although it is like very much transgressive, campy, gross out humor, and I also really love Serial Mom. But Female Trouble is also an iconic film. Um, it 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 encompasses um, this an unserious but also very real kind of rage at a at a quote-unquote normative aesthetic mm-hmm. um in the sense that like it's very grimy gorilla-esque approach to filmmaking it, you can kind of feel it in don davenport's character as well like she desperately wants to be famous as well um and the way in which she goes about it i think is channeled through like the camera movements um and the very lo-fi lighting and and everything like that mm-hmm. yeah totally i agree 100 percent. and and i really love that scene in which i can't remember the name of the character who's kind of the neighbor woman and her nephew and she's telling him how she wishes that he was gay because those straight people with office jobs it's so horrible that she would much rather him be a gay man and uh I don't know, that rang still kind of subversive to me, you know? It's the kind of thing that... Um, it really shows the kind of things that he, that John Waters was doing at the time, going against the the current, and I really appreciated it. It's one of my favorite lines, the world of a heterosexual is a sick and boring life. And I think what's so fascinating about like that line versus John Waters' trajectory is that he is cool he he would i i would never like relegate him to being boring or anything but he, but him and stuff like drag race has just sort of like assimilated into the mainstream in a really mm. fascinating way yeah yeah very interesting um what one last question what would you recommend for me to watch next since i haven't seen any of the crazier stuff and i did love female travel so where would you point him next Ooh, um, well, if you want to go, like, more hardcore, Pink Flamingos is definitely the way to go. I think what I love so much about his filmmaking is that however bizarre and um, transgressive and outre it is or controversial, it always feels like they're having fun. They're Mm -hmm. having a great time and they want you to have a great time. They do want to shock you a little bit, but they want to they want you to embrace the sense of um thrill and excitement that they get from making these these weirdo little movies um yeah i also as i said i really love serial mom which has kathleen uh, kathleen turner playing a suburban homemaker who goes on a rampage um and kills anyone who breaks any kinds of um unspoken suburbia rules that's a lot of fun that one's a lot of fun sounds like well. a lot of fun and and i really agree with you what you're saying about the you can sense the enthusiasm of the people making the movie you know it's just feels like a bunch of weirdo friends getting together to really make something that that speaks to them so exactly yeah yeah exactly all right so that was great uh, lots of recommendations there um let's talk about a new leaf um should we start maybe with a bit of a plot summary this is a movie from 1971 directed and written by elaine may 
who was famous for being a kind of a comedy duo with Mike Nichols, who also became a director. And the movie stars Walter Matthau as kind of a playboy millionaire who a trust fund kid kind of who has grown up and has run out of trust fund and so because he has run out of money and is broke decides to marry a wealthy heiress that he can then you know murder in order to keep the money and not have to keep the wife um i don't know i guess that pretty much that's a good place to start does anyone want to add something else to the plot no that's that's pretty pretty much that's pretty much the plot it's a pretty simple movie. It's all about the characters more than the plot. Right. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit of your experience watching it, Rachel? What do you think? So, for first, I was thinking I hadn't seen it, and then I started watching. Like, oh, I have seen this because I was somebody had suggested it for a podcast a, la- a couple of years ago, and I didn't really like it. So I was like, let's do something else. Oh. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> I think that it, I. I, I I think I liked it better this time around. Um, but I I thought I still do think it takes so long to get going. The the beginning before he starts on this plan is so long. And I also think that he's just so unlikable that I struggled a little bit to be engaged in the movie. And it wraps hmm. up all so so uh so quickly. Uh, with his change of heart but I think I did appreciate the script a lot more this time than when I had seen it before um, and there are some pretty funny lines and uh, and so I think overall I enjoyed it uh, but there are some things that are a little weird for me I suppose I guess it makes sense with a movie like this I think it really will depend on whether or not you like your characters to to be likable and good people or if you're okay with them being you know i think that the unlikableness is very much on purpose but oh yeah if you're not into that sort of thing then you're not into that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um such it is you know that's the case with comedy a lot of the time but i think kyle you're a big fan of this movie right yeah oh yeah it's one of my favorite it's one of my fairly newer favorite films because one of my best friends um is a huge Elaine May fan, and she had been trying to get me to watch Elaine May's films for years. And I don't know why it took me so long. I think I was just lazy. But I, I mean, I, I've always liked Mike Nichols, and um, I'd seen some of Nichols and May's uh, improv and, and comedy sketches, and I enjoyed that. And um, I'd seen The Birdcage, and I enjoyed their collaboration there as well. So being able to sort of encounter Elaine May's work on its own was really an interesting, interesting and, and really um, beautiful experience in a way, because I find this film very romantic and very sweet in a, in a kind of poisoned candy way uh, it is about two people who really, for me, it's about two people who don't quite know what they actually want from relationships or from heterosexuality more broadly. And they don't know how to negotiate those terms that I think a lot of straight couples just innately know how to handle. Hmm. Like, 
um, the kinds of roles that are that are involved when being in that kind of monogamous relationship. And I think they see they have expectations both for one another that they are unwilling to articulate um, one because it for Henry, his unwillingness to articulate what he wants out of a relationship is predicated on her death. And she's unwilling because she, because um, she has so devoted her life to her work that she sees any kind of relationship as sort of like this bizarre collaborative but not quite collaborative process in continuing her way to work. I mean, she continually says in the film that she doesn't know what her dreams and desires are. She hasn't really mapped that out for herself because I think she hasn't necessarily, uh, that particular char- character <laughs> hasn't necessarily been socialized to be able to name those things for herself. Yeah, that's really funny. I thought that was a really funny scene when she he asks her that and then she's like, so I guess my desire is to find this new kind of plant and about my dream uh, can it be the same as my desire can i just have the two be the same um yeah exactly i think the reading you're given is very interesting though um i hadn't thought about it quite in that way it reminds me of a movie that i love which is uh, phantom threat which is also kind of about mm, two very uh, yes. difficult people finding mm-hmm. a way to make a relationship work only this of course is even it's much darker than that right because this guy mm-hmm. is not interested in a relationship but Mm-hmm. By the end, like you're saying, he kind of softens in that way, mm-hmm. which I also think mm-hmm. it's interesting that you find the movie uh, that you like it because it is romantic, because mm-hmm. uh, supposedly there Elaine May was very dissatisfied with the final version of the movie. She had a mm-hmm. much longer version that she wanted to do yeah. that was had a much mm-hmm. darker ending, not a romantic one. Yeah. And it was taken from her by the studio mm. and then recut and released in this version. Right. Yeah, I I it would be great to be able to access that original version which I think is supposed to be like 3 hours long or something. There's there's like an hour more of material. Mm-hmm. But I think this film reminded me of The Lobster in a way. Oh, sure. Where I think there's something complimentary about that because I think the romantic thing for me about this film is that it is a film about concession. They both realize that they have, well, if they, that they have begun to care for one another, but caring is a form of death. Um, and that any, anything that exists outside of the relationship or independent of, of having an identity outside of the relationship um, is decaying in its place. Something else grows certainly, or has the potential to, but what you have is sort of the mundanity that, that I think Henry especially feared, but is now sort of realizing that he can sort of work his way through. And I think that gradual realization and gradual dependency and realization that she also depends on him. And I, I would argue that like, his change of heart is much more gradual than it being wrapped up at the end because I think when he's talking about his ta- the taxes and sort of looking over the financials of her life and realizing just how vulnerable she is, mm-hmm. um, that he begins to realize that, oh, maybe there's something here for me as well, but that also means kind of giving up the thing that I thought that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I think it is about 
realizing that in order to make a relationship work, you're giving up something. You're giving up something that you thought that you want. You're giving up a, a version or an idea of a desire that you thought you once had. Well, I think the last third of this movie is the real star is when it really starts coming together for me. And mm. I I think that, yeah, that whole segment with the servants where he is probably is one of the better parts where he starts to realize that she has been been people have been taking advantage of her her whole life and he starts to feel sort of defensive of her and that surprises him that he feels that way and i mm-hmm. i thought that the then they when they go on this you know this trip and then he has to decide is he going to save her life or not and he's kind of surprised by the feeling that he has i mean i felt like that all worked and uh i i just wished that that we'd gotten maybe there a little bit sooner um that to me at least it was like the whole intro when he's dealing with his uncle and i don't know i just felt like that part just dragged and I was waiting for the story to start. Um, and then finally, once he, once Elaine and May comes on the scene, I think it gets a lot better. Mm-hmm. I did find Walter Matha really funny in his performance. I really enjoyed the kind of the, um, you know, rich man spoof that he's doing and how it's critiquing all of these kind of like, you know, highfalutin norms and whatever. The scene with the, where the valet, the kind of butler guy is dressing him, you know, all very properly. And they're talking about uh, how desperate he is about losing money, but they're still all remaining, you know, they have the composture. And then the the butler is like, what does he say that I thought was really funny? Something like, you, sir, have been preserving, you know, the ways uh, of tradition even that we're dead even before you were born or something like that that you know talks about this kind of stuffiness um i don't know if you guys have anything to say about the movie's depiction of class and rich people i mean yeah because you have his uncle who's uh who is who hates who hates henry and then you also have the accountant at the beginning who hates henry is is willing to pay just so he has some kind of so he can kind of wash his hands with him, but then you also have Henrietta, who's who, Henrietta, who's also rich. All the characters in the movie are rich. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. now that you mention it, Rachel, I think that, it's, it was interesting that everyone who's rich seems to hate Henry at least a little bit because he doesn't want to make more money. He's just spending money, and also the Henrietta's accountant also he's in in on it, right? He's kind of scamming her and taking money off of the servants cut so henry's kind of just wants to spend money because he's just a rich kid who doesn't have anything to do and that is not the way that world works yeah he's like a less charming version of like a niles crane fraser crane <laughs> oh sure <laughs> yeah uh yeah i mean i think the wealthy in this film um are flagrantly stupid um and uh, unaware of what they want, unaware of who they are, or who they are kind of outside of 
like identifying themselves as rich and identifying themselves as having access to all these different things, be it restaurants or paintings and um, cars. That is their reference point for like what makes a, a, a life well lived. And I think what's interesting is I don't think like, like Henrietta is an interesting character because she is rich but seems to not realize it at all. Yeah. Um, and she's a professor. And even th- though the, the job market in for um, academia has changed dramatically since the 70s, I think still that she just has... Money doesn't really kind of um, play a huge role in her mind. Like, obviously, she has those material resources, but she's not thinking about it, which is, like, one of her problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the things that they ultimately give up, or one of the things that Henry gives up, at least, is his desire to strongly identify as a rich person that just spends money. He realizes that now... Now that he is going to be in this marriage, it is this sort of living, breathing thing that he has to help sustain yeah, in some way. He realizes that he actually might be essential in a way that he wasn't before. And like he exactly, he, yeah. He's that she needs him. Plus, he could maybe be a teacher. He could maybe you know use his actually use his degree. And and she just goes in just assuming that of course he's going to want to work at the university and <laughs> and that's kind of surprising for him I, what did what did you all think of the whole scene when he ends up kneeling on the glass oh when he's proposing mm-hmm. right um and he says kneeling on the glass kneeling on glass is my favorite pastime it keeps me from slouching <laughs> yeah um i love the deadpan humor very deadpan and i think very much uh, reminds me of what I was talking about before about the forms of the rich people, right? That he, even though he's kneeling on the glass, this is how is he supposed to do these things. And it's all about kind of how you're supposed to behave, which is so different from Henrietta, who, like Kyle was saying, she doesn't really seem to register that she's a rich person. She has no concern about how people should behave, you know? She um, likes to drink her weird wine cocktail with a straw, and that's that. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't know how to perform the way that she's expected to do so in both like the class setting and I think the gender setting as well, because she is not even even as a rich white woman, she is not adhering to those expectations. She's dropping her teacup everywhere and she's drinking disgusting wine and she is um, she's messy when she eats. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I liked the. I wrote down the uh, the scene where he says, "Woman of your stature has the right to expect every courtesy in any home she consents to visit." She says, "What stature?" He says, "Oh, come now, Miss Lau. I've read far too many botanical journals to take that question seriously. Are you a botanist? No, just a botanical journal reader. Every science has its fans." <laughs> and so she's surprised to be taking being taken seriously what stature of course and uh yeah and that's such a 
I was after watching the movie. I was looking up the Nichols and May clips on YouTube to because I had never seen them to get a sense of their comedy style, and it is very much kind of that uh, poking fun of, uh, at the way at the norms of society, right, and the way people behave, and how Kyle was talking about the way people perform for each other. There's a skit in which uh, Mike Nichols is calling the phone company because he. Uh, needs to uh, talk to the operator and it's not working and then he has to Elaine May plays the operator on the other line who just you know she's in work mode and she cannot really understand what he's saying that is very funny and it, and it's kind of that misconnection mm. yeah so you um, it was it was Nichols and May that got me to do my taxes last year oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you liked it Conrado overall the film yeah I liked it quite a bit um, maybe I was a little bit disappointed just because it had been so praised by everybody. I was really expecting to love it and I did enjoy it a lot. Um, maybe, and actually talking about it with you guys is making me like it more. So maybe I'll give it another try in a couple months or so and see if it grows on me even more. I don't think they had like the most chemistry in my opinion. I, I, you mean romantically mm-hmm. or, or yeah i don't think they had like great chemistry. i think i think that's on purpose i think the the mismatch is is part mm-hmm. of it it makes sense given that that she didn't really want it to be a romantic ending you know mm-hmm. that she might have been pulling for that for them to not quite work for most of the movie at least the parts yeah. that she was responsible for i like the romantic ending i'm a romantic what can i say i was like oh. I, I also thought it was very <laughs> so am i i also thought it was very moving um especially when when she tells him about the plant that she's named after him and all that stuff yeah and then he sees it and then he wants to save her yeah and nice. then he realizes he doesn't have his token <laughs> that's right that's right yeah 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 it's all very sweet actually you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe the version that she made is even is even better. But um. so, why do you think this is on the Criterion Channel? Is that because this isn't? Is this a Criterion film? Do you know? It's not available in their okay. official like um, physical releases. It's just part of their streaming yeah. service right now. What do you think, uh, Conrado? Why do you think it's cut on the channel, Criterion? Yeah. Well, I think that Elaine May is a very important figure in Hollywood. And she's also the kind of director who is not not only a real auteur, you know, you can see her personality in all the movies that she makes, but also her history, her story fits very much into the kind of cinephile criterion aesthetic of wanting to recover and rediscover people who have not been given their due, right? Um Unlike Mike Nichols, who went on to have a very long career making a lot of movies, Elaine May only made four movies. And I think three out of those four movies were kind of uh, p- problematic in the sense that she they were either taken away from her or they didn't want to release them or they were big flops and things like that. So she had a really tough time. Um, I think a lot of people would say mostly because she was a woman and a strong woman at a time when there was not you know, really kosher. But um, yeah, so I think it makes total sense to that Criterion would want to rediscover and highlight mm-hmm. her work now that it's been more accepted. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I see that too. That there's and there's just not unfortunately that many female writer, director, and actresses like all three. I and mean, of course, you have Streisand. Mm-hmm. And there's some, but and I don't, there's not that many. And so I think it, yeah. it's good to highlight them. How about you, Kelly? Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with with all your all of your points, and I think also, um, there are fewer comedies in. Mm-hmm the Criterion Collection proper, especially. They do have um, Elaine May's Mikey and Nikki as part of their disc releases, um, which they released in, I think, 2018, I believe, which is her gangster film Mm -hmm. um, with Peter Falk um, and John Cassavetes, which is really, really great. Great movie, but not really a comedy, I wouldn't say. I mean, it has funny parts, but it's pretty dark. Right, yeah. I mean, I think all of her films kind of walk a very fine line um and while some may lean heavier on comedy i think they have dark elements so embedded within them and a new leaf is one of the like more explicit um later comedies that's that's available that would be available from criterion in some capacity and i think because it's relatively unconventional um, in terms of the way that it's kind of negotiating its sense of humor. It's very deadpan. Um, There's a lot of kind of um, ironic repetition of certain lines. Mm. There's the pacing of of the actual jokes is really interesting. Um, And it's reliant on, even if Walter Matthau and Elaine May don't necessarily have a good romantic chemistry, I think they have really great comedic chemistry. Um, and I think they register one another's presences really well. One of my, my favorite scenes is when she has the nightgown on incorrectly and he's trying to help her with it. Mm. And like, you have to have really great comedy performers to do that scene because otherwise it just goes on and on and on and it's not funny. But I think the fact that Ma- Walter Matthau is repeating the lines over and over again and... Elaine May is just fully embodied in the kind of neurotic, um, awkward characteristic. I think having those two meet is really, really, uh, is really a testament to their chemistry as as comedic partners within this film. And I think that is pretty unusual um, in, in the criteri- Criterion Collection in being able to like zero in on unusual kind of absurdist comedy um, mm-hmm. that's reliant on very specific chemistry between two performers. Yeah, right. I had that scene written down as well. Where is your head hole? I thought my head was in it. <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, so how about our next question, which is where does the movie rank in the pretentiousness scale? And this is the scale that goes from zero to <laughs> 10, where zero is something totally unpretentious, like a, you know, totally exploitation action movie that has, you know, nothing on the brain. And then 10 is something like a late Jean-Luc Godard movie, like Rachel likes to say film socialism. Yeah, the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, I, this one's a hard one, I feel like. Um, I, I'd give, I read written down a five. I feel like it's right in the middle. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's like accessible enough. I think we we might all be in agreement here. I think that it does have um, 
a lot of uh, commentary on its mind that, you know, brings it up a little bit. Um, but a five seems pretty accurate, given that it's first and foremost a comedy and it's pretty accessible, like Kyle mm-hmm. was saying. Yeah, I it, I, I think it's just the, the beginning to me is the part that's a little more less accessible. Um, just because it's kind of s- slower yeah, in your there's, opinion? Yeah, the plot isn't going. And I'm like, why are we just following this guy around getting dressed and stuff? Like, I don't know. I just felt like it was really slow at the beginning. And then it finally to start once once we meet her, I think feel like the plot starts going. In my opinion. I could see that. Um so yeah, then we have the our remakes. So I actually had two ideas of possible remakes. One, I think uh, that you could do a pretty funny version of this if you had uh Jim Parsons in the Mount Walter Matho role. I feel like he could do a good job in this sort of snob character and you could have my Balak playing the Lane May role because <laughs> like it, a big bang yeah theory big reunion. bang theory reunion and they're both really good actors and i think that they could pull off this kind of awkward dynamic and you wouldn't want it to be exactly sheldon because that's obviously not the same character but I think it could be good. I, I, I'd be interested to see it. And then the other one I thought of, because I was thinking of who is an actress that's sort of known for being kind of clumsy. And I thought of Jennifer Lawrence. And oh. uh, I thought, I, I personally thought that she had great chemistry with Chris Pratt in Passengers. That movie obviously has issues. But I thought their chemistry was really strong. And so I think that that could be interesting. Have them do it. Hmm. I would like to see her something comedic um, again, mm-hmm. maybe. Yep. I don't remember when's the last time she was she was in something. Yeah, because she can be funny. I mean, she was funny. I mean, obviously, Silver Linings Playbook. She's she's quite funny in that. Um, yeah, it's been a while since she did anything uh, funny. Uh, there's some. Didn't you start off on a sitcom? Uh, I think that's right. I, I never know. saw it though, but I think you're absolutely right that she started off as in a sitcom. Yeah, and Chris Pratt can be very very funny. And sure. uh, sh- she was, um, oh gosh, in American Hustle, she has some pretty funny parts in that movie. <laughs> yeah. It's not well, a comedy, a, but that movie, has moments. Yeah, she was definitely going for something. <laughs> um, I would I would see her. I would I would see what that's up. I got to say, the Chris Pratt, I'm not totally convinced, but, um, but Jennifer Lawrence I will take for this role. Um, how about you, Kyle? Do you have... Uh, an idea so my pitch is based on narcissism basically because i like to make things gay i i one of the appeals of this film definitely is its kind of cynical view of marriage or of um monogamous relationships um and i always get kind of frustrated when everyone is like we want a gay romantic comedy we want a queer romantic comedy um especially with regards to the use of the word queer because i think that um connotes something a little bit more transgressive um, or at least some sort of like um, embedded critique of the genre. And when I think most people just want like a gay romantic comedy, which is fine, whatever. But I think this film especially would lend itself to sort of playing with those ideas and playing with those um, genres in terms of a remake. And I think it would be really fun to have someone like Ben Wishaw in the Elaine May part or, um, uh, 
Billy Eichner, maybe. I think, like, the... I think Elaine May's Jewishness does, like, mm. feel integral to the piece. So I um, I think Billy Eichner or, or Ben Wishaw could be fun in the Elaine May part. And John Early in the Walter Matthau part, because I think he... if either of you have seen search party which is on hbo max i haven't um, but i've heard it's about it so good it's incredible it's it is a really astounding comedy but it also shapeshifts from moment to moment and from season to season in, in an extraordinary hmm. way i've never heard and of john it. early john early plays this pathological liar gay millennial and i think that his character is not totally dissimilar from walter Matthaus and that he's like spoiled spends all of his money um absolutely calculating and i think he would be like a very a very fun um like new i think he would add like a, a very fun new dimension to hmm. to the text to the to the film i think that sounds good and now that you say that that reminds me of i don't know if you've seen also on hbo uh los spookies which is this show oh, with yeah, yeah. Julio Julio Torres. Torres. and part of the plot line with him is that he has this rich boyfriend that wants to marry him and he kind of doesn't want to so i i can also see him and that guy making a version of this you know like maybe the the latino version Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard of either um, of those shows. Interesting. And um, the Spookies is this kind of like comedy horror show that is it's mostly in Spanish, but it has some some hmm. English parts in it. It's really silly. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, so, what's your my, remake? Julio Torres is amazing, an amazing, amazing comedian. Right, he is the one of the creators of the show, and he also acts in it, and it's really uh, it's a really a great show. I really love it. Cool. I hope they come back for a second season. Um, my remake, right. My original remake idea was actually to thinking about the fact that the original version of this was three hours long. I was thinking, who is a director who can make a funny movie that's about three hours long? So I thought about the director of Tony Erdmann, Marin Ade, the German director. Oh, so I said, interesting. why not have the German version of A New Leaf and have <laughs> Marin Ade, who not only did Tony Erdmann, which is very long and very funny but she also did her her earlier movie everyone else is a movie about a relationship and it's a drama but i think it was so incisive and kind of cutting about relationships and kind of resentments and jealousies and the difficulty of that that she could really bring a very good eye to this story so yeah that was that would be my pick cool there we go. Well, let down. us know if you're listening what you think. Whose remake that you would want to greenlit? <laughs> yeah. And also talking about the three-hour version, I saw yesterday on Twitter, Peter Labuza was tweeting. And he Peter Labuza is this kind of um, scholar of like Hollywood studio law. And he was saying that according to the laws of the Directors Guild, it, it there must at least exist a rough cut of the three-hour version of this movie, mm. which I wasn't expecting. I, I would have imagined that they would have destroyed whatever that was. So maybe there is hope that mm. one day we will get to see it. I would certainly be very interested to see what the differences Should are. Should start the hashtag release the May cut? Release the May cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Why not? it'll be a movement. I think it'll be good. <laughs> 
solidarity. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for being here and listening. Is there anything else that we would like to say about a new leaf if you, before we wrap up? Uh, Kyle, any last words? It's beautiful and I love it. And I, I think it is just so funny and, and very sweet in its very dark way. Yeah, it's definitely a very worthwhile and, and entertaining watch if anyone hasn't seen it who's listening to this. Um, well, oh, and I definitely recommend like um, her follow-up, uh, The Heartbreak Kid. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, so for next time that we are going to get together, we are talking about another kind of classic comedy we are talking about the lady eve uh, by preston sturgis for next our next episode so that's gonna be really fun to get to dive into we're going back to the screwball comedy baby every couple of months we gotta do another one those are my favorites so this i love screwball comedy yes yes Uh, that's why we do them so often (laughs) we love them too yeah so this barbara stanwick henry fonda it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, would you... Thank you so much for having yeah, me. great. Our pleasure. Would you like to tell the people where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me on the internet, on Twitter and Instagram, at Tyle Kerner, just T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R. Very, very creative spoonerism. Um, and you can find my work on the internet, on Paste Magazine and GQ and the New York Times. Fantastic. And this episode marks our end of season two of the Criterion Project. So it's been a a crazy year. We never could have guessed, but it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I think it's, you know, they say most podcasts don't last six episodes. So now we've had two seasons. So it's pretty cool. Wait, is that true? true? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Forty. This is our 44th episode total. We're persevering. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Entering our third year, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. Time flies. Um, so you can find me uh, online at Coco Hits NY on Twitter, and you can listen to my other podcast, Foreign Invader, which is a show about pop culture from not the United States of America, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, yeah. How about you, Rachel? Yeah, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Ron Tomatoes. So check that out. And you can find me at the Hallmarkies podcast, where we cover all things rom-com and all things Hallmark and holiday. It's really fun. So check that out. Oh, yeah. And you can also find me over on Rachel's Reviews, I think YouTube, yes. and also maybe in a podcast talking about the Oscar nominations. Yeah. We recorded that yesterday, and yeah. that was a lot of fun. We did a fun live stream. It was, it was great. All right. Thanks again, Kyle, for being here. Thank you so much again for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.